Good morning, everybody. It's a, a great joy and privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning and as we begin this new series together. It's uh, exciting because I believe we live in very challenging times. And there's no question that we need to be empowered with the Spirit of God. And I do believe this is an area that we need to explore afresh and anew. Whatever stage that we're on in our Christian journey, we always need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And so it's right that we should look at this again. I'm so thrilled that Jonathan Squirrel, a friend of mine for many, many years, is able to share this with me. The plan is that we will do alternate uh, Sundays, but we are listening in prayer to the Holy Spirit, and if that changes, it will change, uh, because we want to be very obedient to what God has put on our hearts. The circumstances are, of course, very different. Uh, we're not here with a congregation, and we're not able to speak, and I love to eyeball people uh, as I share. But, uh, oh, well, there are three people here I will eyeball this morning. So I'm grateful for that, and grateful for the technical team that we have here, wonderful uh, work that they're doing. And indeed, I echo what Andy said about the worship, and it was really meaningful this morning, wasn't it? But we are in different circumstances, and as I was uh, praying about this uh, a couple of weeks ago and saying, Lord, to talk about the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, oh, it always, in my understanding, lead me to asking people to come and be prayed for. I would want to be prayed for. How can this be that we've got the timing right? And I can only share with you with sincerity of heart that God put very clearly on my heart, this is the right time. Because we have to begin with the empowerment of the Spirit where we are. Where we are 90%, if not more, of the time. And friends, that is in our homes. And where we are at this moment is the point where God wants to begin to pour upon you afresh, maybe for the first time in your experience, the power of his Holy Spirit. So whether you're at home on your own, or whether you're with a spouse or a partner, whether your children are there, I'm going to invite you in just a moment or two to pray with me that God will do something in your heart and in your life, deep within you, now, today, beginning a journey of discovering more about his power and his spirit. I felt when I was, felt this in my heart that God was saying, and for those who are on their own at home, and there will be a number of you, who will be sitting there, uh, whether it be now or later when you hear this uh, recording, that, that you're on your own. And uh, I felt God put very, very lovingly on my heart, you are not on your own. Jesus is with you. Reach out to him. And I invite you to do that, whether you're listening now or later. But more than that, as I prayed about it more, I felt a deep sense in my heart that if you're with somebody, as I said, whoever that may be, in your home, together now, I want you, yes, to reach out to God, but I want you and invite you, I can only invite you, to reach out to those people who are with you. It may be a wife, 
reaching out to a husband. It may be a husband reaching out to a wife. It may be you looking or praying for your children. It may be touching them. It may be praying for them openly in a manner and a way that maybe you've never done before. But dear friends, I I can only say to you that we are talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Yes, it's the third person of the Trinity. But it's God himself. And he wants to come and visit us right now where we are and continue or begin a transformation journey. I invite you to pray this out aloud. I will say it once and then I invite you to say it out aloud with me again. And so in this moment, do you know it just comes to me as I share with you now. If you're in your home, you might even want just to quietly kneel down. You're in God's presence. He wants to touch us. I will say the words once and and then repeat them. And I ask you to repeat them with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, please fill me anew with the power of your Spirit. Lord Jesus, please fill me anew with the power of your Spirit. Open and renew my thinking concerning your ways. Open and renew my thinking concerning your ways. I want to be empowered and receive all the gifts and graces you want to give me. I want to be empowered and receive all the gifts and graces you want to give me. I surrender to your purposes for me. I surrender to all your purposes for me. And I ask this also for all whom I live with and share my life with. And I ask this also for all whom I live with and share my life with. Only for your honour and glory. Only for your honour and glory. Thank you. Jesus. Amen. You know, as I begin this thinking through these six weeks and sharing and praying with Jonathan, I felt very much in my heart that this was a sharing. I'm not standing in a pulpit or behind a lectern or behind a a music stand as some of us have over the past weeks. I'm sitting at a table. Why? Because I want to invite you in. I would share this with you in my home. I'd love to have you on my decking back in my garden. I'd love to have a meal with you around and us sharing together the stories of Jesus, the experiences that we and you have had of his loving, generous life that he gives to you. And it's because of that journey and because of that sharing together that I I felt I wanted just to sit and share my heart with you. And it is a journey, and I'm beginning to explore it as a journey, 
And uh, as I travel along in this journey, I hope that you will be able to come along with me. I want to begin, actually, with an actual journey. A couple of years ago, I had a meeting near Victoria Station in London. Because of ongoing meetings, I decided I would travel down by car and park in the Westfield Shopping Centre in Stratford in North London. So that morning, up early to get to a late morning meeting in that part of London, in the car, phone out, tapping in Google Maps, I typed Westfield Shopping Centre. And of course, up it came. I tapped the Westfield Shopping Centre and off I went. Now, you may think I'm very ignorant and slow, and I am, but halfway around the North Circular, I'm thinking, this does not feel right. I'm not going where I thought I was going. I thought the Westfield Shopping Centre in Stratford was just off the, the, uh, the end of the M11. And here I was, time ticking by, going round on the North Circular. Now, of course, in my ignorance, I had no idea that there was more than one Westfield Shopping Centre in London. And actually, when I stopped and able to find somewhere, I found I was heading towards Shepherd's Bush. It was a huge detour. I was an hour later to when I expected, and thankfully, because I do like to be early and I always leave on time, I just managed to get to the meeting on time. But oh my, what stress, what traffic, where was I going to park? I had no idea where I was. And I believe that God has shown me, as I pondered that in this series, that it's like that sometimes in our Christian journey. I know the destination. I know, hallelujah, one day I shall be in heaven. I know that I want to reach my full potential in God through Jesus Christ. But my, oh my, have I been on some detours over the years. Have I been distracted? Have I lost my way? Have I been disobedient? Oh my, far too many times. And so I can look back and in my personal experience see that things that may be in the past God would have me have done or achieved, somehow I've missed the way. Just at the beginning of lockdown, first lockdown, nearly a year ago now, uh, this scripture came very powerfully to me and I've not been able to let go of it and in many ways it's become my constant prayer and particularly in preparation for this series. It's 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 20. I'm going to read it to you in two or three different versions but the first version which will come up I believe on your screens is this. For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. The New Living Translation puts it like this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. I remember when I read it in that version, I thought, well, I've certainly done a lot of talk over the years, but have I seen the power? The Passion Translation that Andy referred to earlier, for the kingdom of realm of God comes with power, not simply impressive words. The translation actually that I uh, 
really liked and really spoke to my heart is one that's not so often read these days, but it's J.B. Phillips' translation, and he puts it this way, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of spate of word, but of power of Christian living. And I thought to myself, wow, I have a lot to learn from that. Paul, of course, wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, Corinth was a literally wild city. It was a relatively new Roman colony that was built on the destruction, the Roman destruction, of the old Corinth. The old Corinth was known as a, as you might say, a party city, as we would call it these days. It was licentious, wild, vile in every way that you consider. And as Paul went to Corinth and later wrote to them, this new Corinth, built on the ruins of the old Corinth, had quickly become the same type of city and was unsavory in reputation, as one commentator very nicely put it. I will go no further other than to say that there are many places this, today which are like this. Many places in our world, maybe even closer than we think, that people flock to for the pleasures of what this life can bring and not things that would do them really in the long term good. And what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 4.20 is this, words were not enough. Words were not enough. They had limited impact even if they could get the people's attention. How the Corinthians people needed a demonstration of the kingdom of God. Unquestionably, Jesus' most frequent teaching, as you read through the Gospels, is to do with the kingdom of God. Not only did he teach it, but he demonstrated it in the way he lived and in the powerful things he showed. And it's this aspect of the kingdom that, of course, Paul is emphasizing here. And in my view, I don't know whether you will agree with me or not, that is exactly what we need to see today. Not just words. Words are all around us, invading us all the time. But what we need to see in our world today is the demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. You, you may say to me, and you would be right in many ways, well, surely uh, uh, we get good teaching, don't we, at our church, at NCBC? Yes, I'd say, there, there's no lack of it. It's all around us. I've been a preacher for 40-plus years, and I find the words of John Calvin very challenging. He was a great reformer. Some of you will have heard of him now two or three centuries ago. I quote his words. For how small an affair is it for anyone to have skill to prat eloquently while he has done nothing, while he has nothing but empty tinkling. And I thought to myself, how many years have I been prating eloquently, but has the power been released?
deep down, and I'm saying this openly to you, this is a sharing from my heart on the journey that I've been on. Deep down I know I need more of God's power to enable me to live as a citizen of his kingdom, let alone to demonstrate it. Here comes a confession. Yet knowing that, knowing that, I fall back into compromise, into apathy, into the easy way. While Corinth, London, Norwich, burns. People are lost. People are dying without the knowledge of a saviour. And in this pre preparing and praying for this series in being empowered by the Spirit. I want to say to you that I'm on a journey. I am hungry. I am yearning. I am thirsty. I am broken. I am longing to see a broken world drawn to him. I hope that's your heart too. And that's where we are within this journey of being all that we are and yet not wanting just to be talkers, but to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. You may say, well, David, that's all very well, but how can that happen? And here again, I go back nine, ten months and where Jesus has taken me. I want to read to you Matthew 18 and verse 3. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The message translation, often helpful in giving us a, perhaps a, a wider understanding, says this, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like a little child, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. I'm inviting you to step back with me. I truly feel this with great conviction in my heart. I want to enter into the understanding of the early church at the time of Acts. I want to understand something of how the disciples, the early church, understood the teaching the life, the stories of Jesus. Facing the question, which I found really difficult to face myself and still do, as to whether our learning and our study has actually clouded or even obscured many of the events, the truths, the facts that Scripture records. Let me give you a simple example of this. It's the word baptism, which we all know. And yet, when you look at a dictionary uh, to understand what the meaning of baptism is, it generally says uh, a Christian ritual to be sprinkled, 
uh, an initiation into something, but with very much of a sense of a sprinkling, something that is done with, with not too much water, but certainly as a, an act, a serious act, but it is only within the context of a, strict, a, a, a sprinkling. When you go back, and you go back into the history of the word, and understand that it was a very difficult word to be translated in the English, and you go back to what it meant in the original Greek mind in the time of uh, Jesus, and of course of the, those who spoke Aramaic or whatever it might be, you discover that actually what it means is something very different. It actually means to dip into, to immerse, to plunge, to sink, to submerge, to be overwhelmed by, and other synonyms. Strictly speaking, in the common language of the person who was listening to Jesus, John the Baptist, and he was in the early church, that's what baptism meant to them. We have to break in, don't we, to what was the meaning of what was being said at the time. What was the perspective of the Greek speaker and the Greek writer and the Greek listener? And we mustn't lose sight of the significance of that street meaning of the word. To be immersed, plunged into. It's going to be a childlike understanding if we are to really see what was happening at the time. Now I can just imagine some of you in your homes now, particularly if you're members of NCBC, saying, ah, baptism! We do have that right. We love to put people in the water. I always made sure that even their little toe was covered. Didn't want anything left uncovered. Well, yes, with regard to water baptism, water baptism, yeah, correct. But have we understood it correctly concerning spirit baptism? Have you been plunged, immersed, sunk into, overwhelmed by the Spirit, the power of God. And that brings me, when I think about that, and try and understand that within the common language of the day of Acts, and indeed the first few centuries of the church, to what I call in my experience, and I suggest you might be at this place also, what I call the junction. There were many junctions on my journey into London a couple of years ago. And were it not for my sat-nav that I eventually re reprogrammed, it would have been a huge muddle. But we can be at a junction in our Christian life. And I would like to respectfully and lovingly suggest to you that some of us, myself included, are at a junction as we come into this series. I may not finish all that I want to share this morning, and I will pick it up maybe next week or the week after, depending how the Lord leads us. But to understand the events and the stories of the Acts of the Apostles, I believe we have to go back slightly before that and start to look with childlike eyes. I want to begin in John 20 and read to you a few verses there, 19 to 23. For me, this is where, as a child, I have to come in simple faith. Let me read you these words. Then the same day at evening, 
before the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, and they saw that it was the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, Again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, you might not be surprised, you probably know if you've done any reading, that there are various views concerning this scripture. In fact, in my reading, again, in preparation, this is one of the most controversial portions of scripture, even within the, certainly within the context of John's gospel. Now, I need to say this because I believe this is so important. This should not be surprising to us, as we know that Satan is always wanting to confuse Jesus' followers by twisting, taking away from the word of God, so that believers lose their way and deny the power of God. He tried it on Jesus and always looks for opportunity to use it on us. It is no wonder that Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. And from such people turn away. 2 Timothy chapter 3. For for me, John 20, 19 to 23 is pivotal. It's a junction point in my understanding and journey towards a spirit-empowered life. And depending on which way I or we turn will determine the journey we take. Long, confusing, frustrating, relatively fruitless, or much more direct and heading for the destination with a spirit empowered for life. Some consider this passage symbolic, looking forward to Pentecost. Others see it in a much more immediate sense, that Jesus is saying, receive the Spirit now, the resurrection marking the change from the old covenant to the new covenant. Still others believe it is to do with how the Spirit indwells us, how we share the blessings of God formerly received through temple worship. Still more think this was a sprinkling of grace, and truly, on and on. For me, the enemy has done his work of confusion very well. So where does this leave us? At the junction. You must, of course, make your own mind up. But for me, standing at the junction, I felt the nudge of God to become once again childlike and look as best I could 
afresh through childlike eyes. Was this important? Well, it certainly was for me. I felt for too long I had preached a gospel about a kingdom in a manner that was really just for the middle class and the educated. I had totally ignored the childlike approach that would have been encouraged in the manner of the storytelling, the oral sharing of the early church about Jesus, of course, and the style of Jesus himself. Back then, people would have understood the events within the culture, the style, the language of the time. And what I felt all the way in this preparation was this, always look at the result. And what was the result of that form of sharing? An early church that literally bursts with energy, fruitfulness, and miraculous growth. And who found it the most difficult to accept? The educated, the middle class, particularly those who thought they were religious in some way. Do you know, it's like the simpleness of it was beneath them. How does this affect my view of John's words? Well, I found myself very much in agreement with Martin Luther. He believed that this passage was about a new beginning in the acceptance of the indwelling life of Jesus, the indwelling spirit that is necessary for a transformed life and the effective sharing of gospel mission. He believed that Acts 2 was the empowering of the Spirit, necessary for the success of the gospel mission. So with childlike sight, I see the resurrected Jesus breathing upon those disciples and affirming their acceptance of him as Lord and Saviour and commissioning them to share that truth with others. That's mission. Now I can hear some of you saying, so what about Thomas? He was absent. For me, his statement, I will not believe until I have put my finger in the nail prints or my hand in his side, is clearly his response to the testimony, the sharing of the 10 disciples. Then, scripture tells us, you can read on in John 21, that Jesus' appearance eight days later, now with Thomas present. I wonder what kept him there, quite honestly. I'm sure it was the Spirit working within him. But Jesus appears again, and uh, his response, uh, Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. That seems to me to be his born-again moment. The Spirit coming alive in him. Even Jesus' response to him confirms it in my childlike eyes. Thomas, you have seen me. You have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Further, the following chapter, John 21 and Acts chapter 1, for me absolutely clinches it. What born-again believer has not struggled with the question, what now? What next? What does this mean? What's really happened to me? Surely, at some point, following Jesus' appearance to the disciples, 
they had similar questions. They were different people. They knew that because they were born of the Spirit. For me, it explains how and why we find them back up in Galilee, we might say, a wee bit at sea. Think about it. Who would they have seen on the journey when they arrived up in Galilee? I wonder whether they passed through Bethany and shared with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I wonder how many people who'd received blessing from Jesus, who'd heard his teaching that they met on the road. What about all those up in Capernaum, where many of them were from, who would have experienced and seen the miraculous work of Jesus? Remember, they had been commissioned when Jesus breathed upon them. What happens when we're born again? We want to share that truth with others. I well remember when I became a Christian in May 1974. The next morning, I went into the office and gathered all my staff around me and declared to them, I've become a Christian. They thought I was nuts. They probably still think I'm nuts. But you want to tell somebody. They believed what the disciples shared with them. And on the journey as they shared, more and more believed. Jesus is alive. They believed the disciples' story. We have seen him, and he has changed us. And what about those words that they would have shared from Jesus? I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there. And he referred to it earlier. And with childlike faith, the record tells us in Acts 1 that 120 people, including the disciples, are in the upper room in Jerusalem, waiting. This challenges me. Were they church? They were certainly called out and doing something very different. Were they committed followers of Jesus? Well, I have to say, I think they must have been. Praying for 10 days in oneness of heart and mind and purpose. For me, unquestionably, they were church. I leave you to answer for yourself what you feel. Now please understand me. I am not against study, reading, exploring, grappling with the word of God. It can deepen our understanding. But I have come to see I don't need a degree in theology. I don't need to understand the Greek or the Hebrew language to understand the story, the person who was shared in those early centuries. I have to step back and look with childlike faith. And it tells me what I need to know about Jesus and his desire that I should be filled, empowered, able to go, surrendered to him, to a world that is in desperate need. It truly then becomes accessible to all, adult and child, educated or uneducated. I have had the great joy and privilege of sharing the gospel in a number of places in Asia. And what has always amazed me is the willingness of the people to learn about Jesus and to commit themselves to him. Some of them who can't read, 
some of them that can't write, some of them who live lives in poverty that would be absolutely horrendous to us, willingly come when they hear the stories of Jesus. One of the things I quickly learned in my first visits to India in particular was that I didn't need to teach all the theology of the epistles and the letters. I just needed to talk to them about Jesus. And they came. And I suggest to you that that is exactly where we need to be with that childlike understanding that this amazing gospel is for all. And that Jesus, by his spirit, is the one that touches our hearts. We have to receive it if we're going to be truly, truly empowered by his spirit. I want to move towards a close and say this to you. Can I put God in a box and say that he always does things the same way? No, I can't. My years of seeking to follow Jesus have shown me that I cannot put God in a box. As we look through the book of Acts over these next few weeks in certain situations, we'll find that there is at least seven different occasions where people were filled with the Spirit, all in different ways. I think of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, who had his heart strangely warmed in May 1738. It was his conversion, but still not fulfilled in life. And ministry, he wasn't fulfilled in it. He records in his diary on the 1st of January 1739, seven months later, this is his words, about three o'clock in the morning. That's a challenge for me, is it you? As we were continuing in instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground, broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. From that moment on, his life and effective ministry literally took off. For me and Sandra, we were born again in 1974. Then after much searching and lack of fruitfulness in our lives, we heard and received and were filled and empowered with the Spirit in 1977. And then only later that year, my, this is wrong, isn't it? We were baptized in water. You cannot put God in a box. Some of you will have similar stories to tell. Will the empowering change us? Absolutely if we continually surrender to Jesus. But he always will give us the choice. So where are you? Maybe at the junction with a choice to make? You have the Holy Spirit because you are a believer, I trust. But has the Holy Spirit totally got you? That's the question that we're looking at. Maybe you are sick of spiritual paralysis. On the one hand, wanting more fulfillment in your life and your spiritual walk, but on the other hand, held back with inner conflict and confusion. Rising to mountaintop experiences, then falling into dark valleys in your spiritual journey. Inconsistent and swayed by circumstances. I, for one cannot accept 
that that is God's will for you as I see the life of Jesus and the early church. Truly, humbly, I want to say to you, there is an answer available now and for all. I want to invite you on the authority of Scripture, no more talk, no more indecision, make the choice. Long for the Holy Spirit in power and walk into Acts chapter 2 and beyond. You can begin that now. It's your choice. And so as we begin this series, and we'll unpack more about what it means to be empowered with the Spirit, I want to say to you, there's a decision for me and for you. And I want to invite you again to come to a moment of prayer with me that we may truly, truly, from the depth of our heart, ask God for all that he wants us to receive in his gifts, in the growth of his fruit, in our own prayer language. 1 Corinthians 14.4 tells me that without my own prayer language, I cannot be edified. God wants you to have it. How willing are we to receive it? Let's pray together. Lord, we see and hear the words of Jesus that we need to come with childlike faith to fully understand the height, the depth, the breadth of your kingdom and your desire to empower us that we may live effectively in that kingdom. Father, we live in desperate days in our world, in our nation. We need to be empowered. Lord, see now before you the hungry hearts of many who have listened perhaps this morning. I pray that you would put that longing within them and that they will not be satisfied until you have filled them, immersed them, plunged them, overwhelmed them, empowered them in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, all for your glory and honour. Amen.